1: Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Finally, before we start our show today, a few matters of business to talk about. The first is that I'm sure a lot of people are tuning in today to see if this episode will contain a response to Jean Gomeschi's essay in the New York Review of Books. I probably will tell you what I think about that essay eventually, but for now, I'm going to stick to what I know about that essay, specifically what I know is inaccurate, misleading, deceptive, uh, or, or simply wrong about that essay. uh, We have done a fact check and the best way to present that is uh, through an article and that is posted on our website at canadalandshow.com. You can check that out right now. The next thing I want to tell you is that I am taking some time to complete work on our Thunder Bay investigative podcast uh, along with Ryan McMahon and a team of people on that. So I will be taking off a number of Monday Canada Land shows for the next little while. And what we've done is we have hired a variety of incredible and surprising guest hosts to fill in for me. Today's episode will be hosted by a guy I knew as Steve Murray when he was working at the National Post, but he is known to hundreds of thousands, possibly millions more today as comic book writer and artist Chip Zdarsky. He was a guest of mine on Canada Land in the early days of this show, and frankly, I just have no idea how this is going to go down, but I am very excited to find out. I will be listening along with you, and I will be back on Thursday to talk about that essay and other things on Shortcuts.
0: Hi, I'm clearly not Jesse. You can hear my voice that I'm at least a foot shorter and far less wealthy. And I'm definitely not a professional podcast host. I'm actually a comic book writer and artist. My pen name is Chip Zdarsky and I write Spider-Man for Marvel Comics. And I also illustrate a book called Sex Criminals, which isn't as bad as it sounds. It's about a couple who, when they have sex, time stops and they rob banks. But before all of that weirdness, I was a journalist. My real name's Steve Murray, and I worked for the National Post for over a decade. My job was different. I did information graphics, cartoons. I even had an advice column. But when my comic career took off, I had to make a choice. So I jumped from one dying print industry into a totally different dying print industry. Except that's not exactly true. I mean, it is the way a lot of people think of the comic book industry in North America. A lot of you listening probably haven't picked up a comic book since you were a kid. And maybe you think they're just ancient fodder for the movies that dominate the box office globally. But really, in a lot of ways, they're thriving. Especially in Canada, which has tons of industry talent. It's a medium that keeps evolving, experimenting, and reaching different audiences. And look, I get it. The movies are super cool. But the heart of them are comics. Now, someone who's intimately familiar with this potential is my old friend Chris Butcher. He's basically Canada's ambassador for comics. I met him around 2000 when he worked for a Toronto institution, The Beguiling. The kind of comic shop that sold you your X-Men books, your Batman books, but also put a spotlight on comics that were artsy or fair. Smaller, independent artists, comics from around the world, comics from right here at home featuring Canadian talent. They saw and treated comics as art. And that idea, comics as art, led Chris and The Beguiling to start the Toronto Comic Arts Festival, otherwise known as TCAF, It's an annual show that now ranks among the best comic festivals in the world. It's crazy. Huge. People come from around the globe to exhibit and attend. But it started off pretty small. I still remember selling my first books at a TCAF in 2003, where it was held in the parking lot of Toronto's premier kitschy discount store, Honest Eds. So today, Chris and I are taking a look back at how far TCAF has come and its international impact on the industry, as well as the insane boom of comics across other mediums. Canada's place in it all and how much better I am at this than Jesse? Wait for it. Or don't, I'm not the boss of you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Jennifer Hollett, David Beers, Joseph Planta, Matthew Beckett, Matthew White, Jared Babin, David Backner, and Heather Farrell.
2: My name's Heather. I'm a
1: speech-language pathologist in Toronto. I support Canada Land because... High-quality journalism is vital to a healthy democracy, and sometimes you have to put your
2: money where your mouth is. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world, and BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of – organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com. along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2, along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Canada That is drinkag1.com slash Canada Land. Check it out. How did you get
0: into comics? Were you a comic reader as a kid?
1: I was, actually. Uh, I was a young man of... Just eight years old yeah. and uh, living in uh, good old Malton, uh, Ontario. And I was a huge fan of the Transformers, the the cartoon show. Yeah. And then on a fateful trip to Becker's, uh, which I don't <laughs> think exists anymore. No. I noticed that there was a Transformers comic book, and Transformers held no... Like, comics didn't really hold any interest. My uh, cousins were all older than me, and they'd show me, like, the Spider-Man cartoon show, the, the, like, 70s one. Yeah, yeah. Because it would run on City TV, like, 24 hours a day. That and Hercules, as far as I remember. Yeah. And Rocket Robin Hood. Yeah, Made in uh, Toronto. Shout out to all those programs. Shout out. Made in Toronto. And uh, I was like, oh my God, there's more Transformers than the Transformers I have been allotted on TV by being this now. And that was it. Uh, From that point, I was just a huge Transformers comics fan. And then I sort of kept finding new stuff on the stands that was interesting. Buddies would be like, what do you mean you're not reading the X-Men? Like, are you some sort of baby that just reads Transformers? And I'm like, no, I'm a baby who also reads Transformers, but I will try your (laughs) X-Men. I've been through all of these, like, grand... Awakenings, I guess, in comics where you just yeah. like get introduced to whole new bits of, of the industry that are previously unseen or maybe we're just sitting in plain sight, but you weren't ready to see them, you know?
0: Yeah. So, but, I mean, before... The art comics awakening and the beguiling came into the picture. Like you worked at like a more of a standard comic book store, right? Yeah, I worked at a comic shop in
1: Brampton, which is uh, still around. Different owners now. Uh, Customers bought the store, uh, which is just what happened with the beguiling, actually. Yeah, Uh, that that happens a lot. Like there's another place in Stony Creek
0: that same thing. Like I think the owner died and the customers got together and bought it.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. uh that is that's the comics retirement plan. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the comic shop model. retirement plan. Yeah. You're gonna die probably in the store. <laughs> yeah. And your customers are gonna take it over for yeah. you. Um but yeah, Stadium Comics in Brampton. Uh like I was like nineteen, twenty, twenty one. Going down to Toronto as often as I could, uh, being super closeted, uh all that kind of stuff and comics were like a nice escape for that.
0: So what what was the difference for you between working yeah. at that comic shop and then the beguiling?
1: Uh, I am a pretty adversarial person by nature. And I found, especially as the time went on in that comic shop, I was constantly fighting against, like, the owners even, let alone the the readership and things like that. Like, there's so much good work out there. Uh, Why is it we're only selling, like, the worst stuff to people? Why aren't they, like... Willing to even try or even look at something else and you know, it's comics as as comfort for a lot of people. Yeah Um, Whereas being adversarial at the beguiling and with the owner of the beguiling Peter Uh, Berkamo was always rewarded. (laughs) It's like, oh, you're going to challenge me. Well, here, that means I get to flex my muscles on you. Uh, And that was great. Uh, We had a great relationship pretty much from the first time I met him because of that. Like, yeah, like, fine, let's argue about this comic and its, you know, intrinsic value. Or let's agree on this comic and its intrinsic value. But it doesn't mean we have to stop talking, which was great.
0: I mean, that was always kind of my favorite part about going into the beguiling when Mm -hmm. I moved to Toronto. Like, I went to art school where they kind of told you to not do anything with comics like yeah. you were an illustrator for newspapers magazines but comic books were not a thing that uh was encouraged in school so once i got out of school and into toronto i was like well maybe i should you know check out some comics and beguiling was kind of my main shop and the difference between you and peter and the floors of the beguiling as well like the main floor was peter's domain where it was like yeah his European comics and the independent art comics. And then the second floor was, uh, more the, the superhero, the mainstream stuff. And also like you were introducing like the manga as yeah. well upstairs. Um, I love that, that split. And there was kind of a tension between the floors. Like if you were buying the stuff upstairs, don't cash out downstairs because you're going to get looks.
1: Yeah, we used to get asked all the time when we were going to get an additional uh, Visa MasterCard debit machine on the second floor yeah. so that people didn't have to go downstairs to check out <laughs> yeah. uh, because they didn't want their purchases judged. And I'm it's, like, whatever, man. Like what you like, but own it. Like, own that you're reading trash. Like. It's
0: such a weird business. It's almost like going into like a, a, a porn shop or whatever and buying porn, and it's like like this weird old lady behind the counter, like, oh, I can't believe you're buying this pornography. I'm like, well, you're selling me this pornography. But that's what made The Beguiling such an interesting place, and I think what has made TCAF such an interesting festival. So how did TCAF kind of come about from you working at The Beguiling then?
1: Uh, I had an idea for a comic show in Toronto with local talent that puts the spotlight on them and is is more about comics and is less about what the sort of corporate shows are turning into, which is all kinds of pop culture bullshit. Yeah. And uh, I pitched it to Peter who runs the Beguiling because I had no money. I had negative money at that point. And uh, he's like, no, that's too much work. Uh, And he just disagreed. And then he was trapped in a car with me uh, (laughs) for 10 hours. And so I convinced him. And then on the way there, we sort of agreed looked at the show we were going to to take all the best ideas and figure out what we didn't want to do and on the way back came up with the name which was the Toronto Comic Arts Festival working with uh, Mark Nui uh, was there and uh, Marcel Goldemund and you know just like just came up with the idea for this show that would be a little bit more European influenced uh, a little bit more I want to say a little bit more thoughtful uh, which sounds really pretentious I guess but we really really thought about why we wanted to do the show and yeah. what the show was supposed to be about um the one thing that didn't survive from that first year that we did was we charged admission on the first year it was like five bucks pay what oh, you yeah. can at the door and then from 2007 onwards because we're doing it outside and intense and stuff like that we're like well we just got to make it free and we'll just eat that cost and try and figure find sponsors or just the beginning, we will pay way more money and that kind of thing
0: how many people do you estimate came to the first tcaf
1: 600, I think we did. We had actual admissions for the first year, so it was yeah. 600 all told. And
0: how many people came this past year?
1: Over 25,000. That's pretty good.
0: That was okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so the reason we kept making it free, even after we could close doors, was the idea that if we're taking 20 or $30 at the door, or even 5 bucks, that's money that we're taking out of the pockets of people that are coming in to spend it on creators. Yeah. The whole point of the show is those creators, the people that are generating the work that allows us to have an industry in the first place.
0: So uh, TCAF's grown kind of on the international s- scale. Mm. Um, it's regarded as like one of the best shows in the world for comics now. Like at least that's my perception of it. Have you seen the, the effect from TCAF, uh, what I was saying earlier on other
1: shows and uh, other libraries? We were the first show to have the TCAF for the CAF Comic Arts Festival branding i guess or the yeah. name for the festival because we're trying to come up with what we wanted to call uh the show and now i think there's 20 of them yeah. uh the first one was one in maine mcaf and we were like oh that's a little bit weird oh okay i guess that's <laughs> happening and now there's just like two dozen of them and it's and your lawyers are all over it right? our lawyers are yeah. shutting down as many independent small comic shows as they can <laughs> no it's It's nice. I wish that they all tried to adhere to the core values that we have, which is making the shows free. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really important. Uh, Trying to keep table costs as low as possible for participants. Um, We're expensive, but Toronto is expensive, but we're still the cheapest of the shows that are in like our level, our class, which is nice. I want shows like TCAF to be about accessing the industry with as few barriers to entry as possible. Yeah, Um, And that is something that people have found really internationally exciting. Do you feel like TCAF's kind of affected the industry itself? No, I don't think anything we do is ever going to have a positive impact in general. Uh, (laughs) Since you asked. Uh, I think the industry is bigger than us in a lot of ways. I think the best that we can do, we can ever hope for, is to create a positive environment uh, for people by having them show up at the festival and encounter an audience that's got money, that's engaged, that's happy yeah. to be there, that's curious. Now,
0: ever since I've known you, we probably met like 2000, 2001. Somewhere in there, yeah. Um, in the early days, you were quite a vocal critic of the comics industry. Yes. Like you were kind of known for that.
1: Um, when I was younger, I was very critical about comics. I was very critical about Marvel and DC especially because they were the people that, again, working in comic book stores, most affected my livelihood as a 20-something-year-old. If Marvel had a bad month, my shifts got cut back. Uh, And I was critical uh, because I saw things that I thought were plain and obvious uh, that were wrong about the way they were doing business, about not just the stories that they were telling, but how they were marketing them and how they were packaging them, how they were making them available or not available to customers, Uh, how they were treating retailers that were selling their work. You know?
0: Yeah,
1: And... I never stopped wanting things to change for the better. All my criticism was rooted rooted in wanting positive change for the industry. Yeah. And all of my commentary, all of my criticism, all of my asshole had that as its core. I was mean, but it was because I could see something better and I wanted it and I could see the way to it and I couldn't get people on board. And at a certain point, I decided that I could write all the blog articles in the world uh, about it, or I could just go and try and do something actually positive, like create something positive with TCAF and try and lead the way a little bit. But, like, I was a colorist on an Image comic series called The Adventures of Evil and Malice, which was, like, a superhero series for girls. And then I worked on Trina Robbins' Go Girl, which was a superhero comic series from Image Comics for girls because no one was producing comics for girls in, you know, the 2000s. And both of them were huge flops. Retailers didn't order them. I had to convince my (laughs) own boss to, like... Order the books that I worked on so I could sell them to my friends. And he was like, it's not going to sell. And I'm like, my mom will come in and buy a copy. Order at least one for my mom. Yeah, Like that level of entrenchment um, of... Not wanting the industry to change because change is scary, but yeah, like I want comics to be better. Uh, yeah. I believe that my impact is limited, uh, and everything that I, everything I can do, if I do everything perfectly all the time, yeah, still not gonna, not gonna write the ship or even steer it. But it's gonna give everyone who's on the ship a better time.
0: What do you see are the problems right now? Have they, have the problems changed since 2000 when you were first kind of talking about the situation with comics?
1: I think things are markedly better in every way except for Marvel and DC than they were in 2002. Uh, I think that you can have a career in comics and you can be fairly compensated for your work. And there are more people making their living as professional comics creators uh, than there have been in like 50 years, maybe yeah. 40, 40, 50 years, especially Canadians, like, especially Canadians, yeah. uh, especially Canadians, especially with the advent of the Internet. Yeah. Um, that's remarkable to me. There are yeah. more people reading comics than there have been in 30 or 40 years. And this is something that gets lost in all of the like all of the ridiculous comics bullshit that goes on on the Internet right now. Yeah. There are more people reading comics than there have been in Almost any of our lifetimes, like yeah. us, us as you know, crotchety old men now, uh, that's awesome. Like we got to live to see that and contribute to it.
0: Yet they still don't feel like they're big in popular culture, like as comic books. Like my no. parents, my parents have seen the Avengers movies, yeah, uh, but they've never read any comics. That's
1: well, your parents though are. 20 million years older than you even uh, uh, yeah, yeah. and that's it's generational um, my brother has five children every single one of them uh, grew up reading comics and it's not just me and Andrew buying them comics and books for every single birthday and Christmas <laughs> it is literally they're in schools they're getting the Scholastic Book Club flyers and yeah. going to book fairs and going to the bookstore and there are huge book sections that, that have comics in them yeah there, there seems to be
0: a shift like even me talking about when I went to college for illustration and them like, you know, being negative about comics as a career. Now they're inviting myself, Jeff Lemire, Ramon Perez, Kegan McLeod to come and like talk about comics to the class. Like they've figured out that there's something there. And I think also adults, teachers, librarians have figured out a thing that I knew even as a kid, which is that comics are a great way to introduce somebody to reading. Oh, yeah. Like, like the, having the pictures married to the words, like it helps you understand the words so much better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're a great way to introduce. And the, the what gets um gets tossed around a lot is gateway. They're a gateway to reading. Yeah. No, they are reading. Yeah. Like they are not just like starter readings that you switch to novels right away. Comics yeah. are their own language. Uh, oh you got me all headed up uh, now. Uh yeah, yeah. Hepped up. Um yeah, this is this is a thing that really bothers me a lot is that people like talk about like, oh and comics are great for getting people like introduced to reading. Yeah. As long as they then go on to read like real books. And it's yeah. like comics are real books. Graphic novels are real books and we have to have a discussion about that. Yeah. So
0: in Canada there is the you know the recognized can lit. Yeah. But graphic novels, comics don't ever seem to be a part of that. Like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, Canlet can have baggage associated with can it. Can have. It can have. <laughs> does have. But also there's like a sense of community that comics are kind of outside of. Like, comic has its own community. Canlid
1: has its own community. Like... Comics just had to forge its own way for a long time, though. Yeah. Like, comics got used to being a the badass outsider. Uh, and <laughs> with, just the, like, with the leather jacket yeah, popped up. Yeah. We're, we're comics. We're over here. We're cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know... I think the best example of this is when uh, Jeff, Jeff Lemire with his Canada Reads situation for uh, Essex County, for Essex County trilogy, where it was picked as a Canada Reads book. And like the first judge is like, this isn't even really a book. It's a comic. Yeah. Uh, First off, fuck that person. Yeah, Fuck that person. Uh, Secondly, you know what? Fine. If you don't want to uh, embrace this amazing work that talks about Southern Ontario as uh, like a Southern Canadian Gothic uh, <laughs> work, yeah. that's fine. It's just going to go on to keep selling tens of thousands of copies as you guys turn your noses up at it.
0: It's funny the the um always makes me think of uh, it was a couple of years ago when they had it was like a book fair or something at the convention center. Like oh yeah the, yeah, the, 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 I remember the that first shot of that. It's- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Inspire I was, the book fair. I was brought in to kind of uh, talk at a breakfast about comics publishing. Oh. Um, and it was for, like, publishers and stuff, mostly Canadian in the crowd, you know, having their, their,
1: their continental breakfast. I heard. Yeah, okay. I might have... I apologize for any role I played in that, but go on.
0: No, no, no. It was fine. I had a good time, but I could see jaws drop <laughs> when I talked about the numbers of comics, sales figures, sales figures, and, and, and the reach of um, sex criminals specifically. Yeah. Because, you know, I remember talking to like the books editor at National Post, and he was like, you know, 5,000 copies is a hit in Canada. It is. And I'm like, well, like, sex criminals, like, we've sold many more copies than that.
1: How many more? A lot more.
0: (laughs) And it didn't really click until that moment when I started talking about, like, the -the behind-the-scenes counting of everything and and the reach of comics for the most part. Um, It made me feel like comics are quite healthy, but I'm also like, well, like, it's so weird that
1: we're so outside of this. I think everyone is asking themselves that same question. Yeah. Everyone, I I will say maybe... In the graphic novel boom, like five, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, most of the Canadian publishing houses went and started acquiring in a real way. Yeah. Uh, groundwood, uh, house of mm-hmm. an Nancy.
0: It's so funny. The idea
1: that comics are like,
0: yeah, there's more people reading them than ever. Um, the, the, manga boom was, I think, super beneficial for me. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because, because now that, yeah. Sex criminals, um, which is a story about relationships and sex and a little bit of sci-fi there. Yeah. Uh, We didn't think it would have an audience, but then we noticed at comic conventions, it was almost all 20-something, maybe early 30 women. And it felt to me in conversations with them that it was like they'd read all the manga. Yeah, They grew up reading all of it and they were just kind of like running out and they were primed for something uh, in, in North America that would speak to them. Well, and they, I feel like it's a market that still hasn't. I, I don't. I don't think North American creators have quite noticed that yet. N-
1: none of them read manga. Uh, that's that's well, yeah, a yeah. really interesting thing. Where there are maybe like two or three creators that I talked to that have read manga in the last year. So. Right now, the most popular superhero comic book in North America is a Japanese manga called My Hero Academia. Yeah. Uh, it's about a school for gifted youngsters learning to use their superpowers and become superheroes. And it is gripping, and it is insanely popular, and no one in the superhero sphere is talking about it. Because no, I mean, I'll, I'll admit it, I haven't read it. It's great. It is exactly what you want a comic for young people to be. Yeah. Whereas, like, comics that Marvel and DC are producing are not comics for young people for the most no, part. No, I mean, the problem I find working for Marvel, DC,
0: oh. like being within that kind of realm... Is there the... are problems working for Marvel and DC. <laughs> You're right. <they're>, it's perfect. <laughs> is the fact that it's a continued narrative of 60 years. Yeah. And because of that fact, uh, I have to acknowledge that mm. and create stories that tie into 60 years worth of narrative... And also the readers have like stuck around for that long, mm. maybe not 60 years, but like you're up against the expectations of many different generations and their understanding of the characters. Yeah. So it's, it's very really hard difficult because those books in trying to appeal to everybody appeal to no one. That's, they are not for anybody. That's the thing that like I'm always up against. I'm like, whenever I write a story for Marvel, I'm like, can this be picked up by somebody and understood on its own? Yeah. And also um, provide uh, like a a hit of like continuity for the reader who's been picking it up for 20 years. Yeah. And that's hard. Like you can, the day it was announced that I was writing Mm. Spider-Man, I got maybe a dozen messages to like my Tumblr account (laughs) from people telling me how to write Spider-Man. Oh, of course. Like basically being like, Uh, congratulations on uh, your new job writing Spider-Man. I think you'll agree with me. The last 10 years of stories have not been very good and that uh, this is what has to happen for it to be better. And in their examples, I could always pinpoint how old they were when they were reading the comic when they were a kid because that's what they imprinted on and and that's what they've carried with them. Mm. And it's hard. Like a lot of the things that I kind of push when I'm at Marvel in the offices is the idea of kind of like, redoing it all like starting fresh like creating different lines of books you know you can still have the recognition of the character but you can like you can um divorce yourself from the continuity and get them into the hands of of kids one of the other things that i find interesting is because at marvel we're all inside marvel like we grew up reading it and we kind of know these stories so well like marvel sometimes has a problem uh hitting the younger market and I'm like, well, yeah, because your characters all punch each other. Like, I think librarians and teachers now, more than when I was a kid, they look at uh, stuff like that and being like, well, no, we can't have that. Like, these characters are using violence to solve their problems.
1: I don't I don't encounter that uh, in my day-to-day when I'm dealing with le- teachers and librarians, which yeah. actually happens, like, an awful lot. Yeah. Um, so I should have more punching in my comics? I think this is not necessarily the punching, but, like... Yeah. The, We call it the like single panel problem where if you have a parent or a librarian or a teacher, but it's usually not librarians or teachers because those are people that have been educated to value books that have controversy in them. Uh, Usually if you have a parent who wants to hold up a book and go, this panel is inappropriate. If you took if you freeze framed about I could think of like. 20 scenes in the first season of Riverdale alone <laughs> and put that in a page in a book and had a, a parent holding that up. Yeah. You could never get away with it. You could never do a Riverdale comic book. Yeah, instead.
0: It's not just pulling out the panel. Like when I worked at the national post, um, I did a comic where I went to wicked the swingers club <laughs> I and remember I, that. I did a comic about going there cause I had like a film fest party there. And, and one of the panels had the owner and his, uh, his wife grinding on the hood of a car that was also a DJ booth. But I, I got in trouble and I got called into the editor-in-chief's office the next day because they were putting, they, they had a program where like National Post went into schools mm. and they had complaints from, I don't know <laughs> if was parents or teachers. And uh, he was like, you've gone too far this time. I'm like, what are you talking about? And, he, you know, he pulled out the comic. He's like, what is this? Like, you know, you have like wiggle lines next to his butt. Like the kids are reading this. And I'm just like. I read all your previous stories about this nightclub in which they mention like, oral sex and, like, fornication, like, in the stories. And, like, this cartoon man is grinding. He's like, I know, but it's a comic. Yeah. So it's for kids. Mm -hmm. That's always the problem, like, with that kind of, like, weird level of censorship.
1: But, like, there's all kinds of other... Comics out there that like that are don't. about interpersonal relationships yeah. are about like problem solving through discourse and yeah. blah blah blah. Like
0: Yeah, I mean the root of it is to make a thing you enjoy and have fun doing it. And also just to like stay away from um being too up your own ass with the comic <laughs> language of it all. Sure, because, sure. Because you know, you still want to be able to pass it to anyone and mm. have them understand how to read it Mm. like even just the ability to read a comic sometimes we
1: take for granted my mom can't read comics which is weird my dad loves comics but i've given her comics that have like a basic six panel grid where it's like two panels two panels two panels yeah can't read it she doesn't even like reading comics in the newspaper because the comics are too close together even though they're different like daily newspaper strips they're (laughs) like she's she just can't follow it in the same way that you think
0: Garfield just leads directly into Kathy, like directly yeah, into it, for yeah. better or for worse, <laughs>
1: and then directly into like BC. and you're like, "Wow, <laughs> that got real conservative at the end. Yeah, of there, yeah. actually, like, anyway, at least they're praising Jesus. That's nice. My kind of guiding principle working at Marvel.
0: yeah, and it came from Matt, the writer of um of sex criminals. He worked at Marvel for a long time and and the advice he gave me when I started at Marvel was, are you proud of the work, and are you having fun? if like either of those things are happening just stick around if both of those things are happening great if neither are happening you should leave the book yeah and that's basically what happened on spider-man I, I think I just stopped having kind of fun on it mm. there wasn't any kind of sense of joy and I was like oh, if I'm not feeling that then then I'm not actually happy with what I'm producing which means mm. I've got to like mix it up I've got to do something else isn't that tempting to
1: just stay on a book
0: The eight-year-old in me was very angry that I quit (laughs) Spider-Man because, like, what the fuck? You're writing Spider-Man. Like, don't leave. Yeah. And it was super tempting to stick around. But um, my own frustrations with my work on the book and the process of it um, just hit the point where I'm like, well, what are you doing? Like, do you want to be somebody that just does the book for the paycheck? Or do you want to do a thing that like feels like you're elevating
1: it or like- But that's a tremendously like, privileged position because that you, that you could afford to grip that It is, to get, to it is.
0: That and then the privilege comes from Sex Criminals.
1: Oh, well that's nice.
0: Because that's the thing, like one issue- The creator owned book. One issue of Sex Criminals pays me more than, I'm gonna say 20 scripts for 20, Marvel. 20, two yeah. zero. Yeah. Holy shit, Chip. Like I don't have to work for Marvel. Uh, I want to work for Marvel for a few reasons. One, I've learned so much. Oh like, yeah, it's an it's an incredible like learning experience mm. working on a monthly book. How long are you gonna do it for? I'm on contract with Marvel for two years, and I just finished my first year. And oh. um, part of the beauty of being on contract, yeah, like that is I get invited to the retreats. Oh, so, I know you
1: like the the Marvel retreats.
0: What happens at a Marvel retreat? Well, the NDA says, I can't tell you, but I will tell you (laughs) because this is just between us. Uh. You fly to New York once every like three, four months Mm. and you go to the Marvel offices and you basically are in this giant room with tables all around with people flown in from everywhere, creators, there's editors, there's people from video games or whatever. uh, And you just talk about like stories for like three
1: days. That sounds fun.
0: Which is fun. It's also insanely stressful. Oh, sure. Um
1: But yeah, it's a, it's a ton of fun. and It's a bunch of people that are also doing your job, and you guys are all sort of basically dick measuring for the three days? Like going, there this is, is what I've got. And they're like, oh, interesting you would say that because actually, blah, blah, and the, I've got this.
0: The stories I've heard are that in the past, it's, there's been a lot of that. Okay. I think the crew that's there now is kind of less so. Okay. Like everyone seems to be pretty friendly unless they're all like shit talking to me behind my back. Maybe, but um, you should really worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but part of the reason I signed up on the contract was because I like the idea of being in that room mm. just to like
1: experience it. Yeah. And I've done it like three times, four times. So you're going to this thing and it's not about you guys collaborating, it's about you talking about your individual stories.
0: It's You present your stories mm-hmm. Um, and then it's opened up to the room to like basically critique it. They'll suggest, you know, adding a thing. If they have questions about it, like, well, why would Captain America throw his <laughs> shield at that guy? I don't know. It becomes a discussion in the room. And they're funny discussions because when you're talking about Wolverine amongst a bunch of like grown men in a, in a boardroom, it's like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. It's like defending a thesis in a weird way. Oh, Okay. I mean, I'm not a a learned school
1: man. I mean, me either. Fuck it.
0: But from what I understand, (laughs) you're basically, you're throwing your thesis out there for Iron Man or whatever. Yeah. And then everyone questions uh, your Iron Man pitch or they stand up and applaud you, which has never happened. But how do you feel about being a Canadian creator? Like, do you feel othered? Well, no, I mean, it's like you kind of said earlier about, you know, the internet kind of opening things up for everyone. Like, Mm. it's so much easier to, like, get work internationally. Like, a lot of the artists I work with at Marvel are worldwide. Like, Mm. I'm working with a a guy who's from Italy, a guy who's from Spain right now. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't make that much of a difference for me, but I think that's mostly because I'm kind of in the Marvel cog. Which kind of makes me feel like I've, I miss out a little bit. Like, you know, there's there's drawn and quarterly here, which, you know, I'd love to do something with them just because then I would be, you know, officially a Canadian comic book creator like fully. <laughs> um, sure. And I think that's the thing. A lot of Canadian creators would like to work for Canadian companies if mm-hmm. there were more Canadian companies. Yeah. Like some of the ones that have come and gone in the past few years have been like a little bit... Shady. Sure. Uh, I won't name any names. <laughs> Let's not name any names. Why, why kick them when they're already down? Yeah, yeah. And and, and that's... And out, a, thankfully. That's a little bit upsetting. Like, uh, Koyama Press, like, you know, she's going to be kind of wrapping that up. Yeah, it's the best. Uh, yeah. She's
1: the best. I'm sorry that she is wrapping things up. Yeah, but I mean... Like, I'm happy for her,
0: but... Yeah, I'm happy for her, but I'm also like, well, there's a void. Like, it seems yeah. like in Canada, there's like, there's a potential for more comic publishers... Oh absolutely that, that just aren't like kind of like
1: showing up. I think um, a publisher like Conundrum who works pretty close with Koyama on yep. a, a number of projects is gonna is stepping up their game right now They're publishing more books than ever yeah uh, and working at TCAf too uh, we get to see the like full range of like what graphic novels are. We as TCAf represent Canada abroad on the world stage. Um, our mandate is to invite uh, the world to Toronto, to Canada, to see what we're doing here, mm-hmm. and then send Canadians abroad to promote their work in different comics markets. Yeah. So we do a trip to um, Japan every year, to Tokyo, to their sort of comic book events for mm-hmm. overseas comics. Um, this year we're doing an event, a partnership in Colombia. we did an exchange in Denmark that I'm going to Denmark next week. Okay. Uh, and, you know, we're doing these things, but people don't really understand, you know, in Denmark or in, you know, London or wherever, uh, who is a Canadian creator or what qualifies a Canadian Hmm. creator. And that's before you get into the very tricky and thorny issue of the fact that like, Quebec has its own publishing industry that does not need English Canada, (laughs) does not give a shit. They publish a ton of books. There's like seven Quebecois publishers, like Editions Pau Pau and La Pastèque. And oh my God, there's so many more, Editions Trip um, in Quebec that are publishing French language books, occasionally English language book, for a French audience in Quebec and in France. Like they get exported, they have international distribution. It's amazing. It's amazing that this entire parallel industry exists within our own country that we don't think about, talk about or know about for the most part. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, does being Canadian ever come up in your work? Like ever? When you send in a script and you've got you in color, they send it back and they're like, oh, you.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's that. There's the editing nightmare. But also the fact that I put our prime minister in a comic. You did do that, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I which had was, blocked that out. Yeah, which was super funny. Um, mostly because I know like it got back to him like it was an editorial cartoon I think in Ottawa Citizen about the fact that I put him in a comic like it became like a weird news story Mm. so he's like oh there's a Canadian superhero team we're doing like a little comic you know you want to do something I'm like yeah can I put the prime minister in because he was just elected so it was kind of like that that perfect moment where like he hasn't fucked up (laughs) (laughs) just yet and so so yeah so I had him as like a, a sparring partner in a boxing ring with Tony Stark, because he had to, like, in the issue I was doing, he had to, like, make a decision about, like, an international situation involving these superheroes. And I'm like, well, what would Trudeau do in this moment? Like, it was really weird to kind of, like, figure out kind of what he would say in the situation and hope he doesn't get mad that I gave him a stance that he wouldn't normally
1: take. And you you did good, apparently, because you didn't get, like, an angry letter
0: back. No, no, the superheroes were making a pipeline, and he was like, you just go for it. (laughs) That's your Canada Land. You can reach Jesse at jesse at com If you have any comments, concerns, complaints, Canada Land is on Twitter, at Canada Land. Their website is at canadalandshow.com. This episode is produced by Allie Graham. I'm very sorry, Allie. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what Canada Land does, please support them on Patreon.